following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, today we are actually going to be finishing up our study verse by verse through the book of Colossians. It's been uh, about 12 weeks, I think, that we've been in Colossians, 12 or 13 weeks, and here we are at the end. So let me just tell you in advance, we'll be in Colossians chapter 4, the last few paragraphs, but the nature of this part of the letter is a little bit different, and that's because it's the conclusion. So if you think about, if you were to write a letter to someone and you were trying to share some information with them, and then you got to the end, you kind of tie it all together, right? You know, uh, don't forget to say, you know, tell so-and-so hey for me, or, you know, send them my love, and hope you're, hope you're doing well, and don't forget about this, and uh, I'll see you soon, and, uh, and then you sign your name. So it's, it's similar to that, but I will say there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more application that lies beneath the surface in today's passage than you might see just on a first glance. And so when we look at this portion, this ending portion, Paul is concluding this letter with greetings not just from himself, but from some other folks with him. And some that are actually in prison with him and some that are just uh, around where he is and maybe visiting him periodically. And so, what we see here, I think one of the biggest things to understand before we read this last little section, is that this is not just an abstract theological letter trying to share some information. This is a, a real letter to real people in real life circumstances. And so you might detect some passion or some compassion or care from Paul to the folks in the church here. But there's, there's a, a, a dual meaning. I guess it's the best way I can put it. There's, there's Paul in his humanity trying to care for them, but he's also want to make sure they have taken in everything that he's trying to tell them. Okay? And especially because, remember, he's not met these folks in person, but he's sending them information. So here's some of the questions that come to my mind when I read this. What are we supposed to learn from the manner in which Paul relates to this church given the fact that he's not physically ever been there? What are we supposed to learn from that? Or what can we conclude from his words to this congregation and how he uh, expresses his care for them? How, what are we supposed to take from that because isn't that, isn't that the, the main question we always want to ask when we read the Bible? Okay, that's what it says. This is what it means. Now, why does that matter to me? What am I supposed to do with that? Right? That's the question we want to answer. What am I supposed to know? What am I supposed to do? What does this teach me about Jesus? What does this teach me about myself? How can I apply this to my real life circumstance? That's what we want to know, right? 
Well, I believe those questions are going to be answered when we look at this passage in its context and then take the principles and apply it to our own. So let me read Colossians 4, beginning in verse 7. We'll go to the end of the chapter. And then we'll just step through a few things that the text has to say to us. And the words there on the screen if you'd like to follow along. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother, faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that's in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Father, I pray that you would help us today. Help us to take this word that we've read. Help us to understand what it means. And help us to take those principles and be obedient to your word and apply them to our lives so that we can live in a way that gives honor and glory to you. We want you to be pleased, and obedience is the pathway to that. So, Lord, help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you can probably t uh, see by now, uh, this, this is not an easy text right here. This, this, it sounds like, okay, he's kind of tying up loose ends, he's finishing up his letter. What in the world are we... We don't know these people. How in the world are we supposed to figure out what we can learn from this? Well, here's, here's the, uh, the general answer to that question. If you look at the title to the message today, Investing in God's Kingdom. Today's message is really all about relationships. It's about how we relate to one another in God's system under God's leadership and, and why it's important because here's what we can learn. I, I pray you'll see this as we walk through these few things here. We can see how Paul has related to 
people in this church, even though he's not personally met them. So he still has uh, a pretty deep relationship because, not because they're best friends, not because they've hung out together. What's the common bond that makes them tight, so to speak? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit of God ties them together in friendship that's deeper than just, oh yeah, I know who that is. We hung out a couple of times. It's more than that. Especially since they hadn't hung out a couple of times. They hadn't hung out at all. But they share a love for and a trust in Jesus. And that develops that relationship. So we're going to see this common thread woven through these things. Four quick points in the text today as we walk through it. Number one, prayerfully support messengers of the kingdom. And you'll see that same uh, language in all these points as we walk through this text. Prayerfully support messengers of the kingdom. So first of all, the first three verses, you see two guys. And first thing you notice about these two guys is they got some really messed up names. Some of these names are just like, what in the world were they thinking when these poor fellows were born? But anyway, it's not any of my business. Tychicus is the first one. But look, look at the description. Look how Paul describes this brother. He's beloved, first of all. He's a faithful servant. He's a fellow bondservant in the Lord. That word doulos, that Greek word doulos, bondservant, selfless, sacrificial. I'm looking out for other people. I just want to serve God, and that means I serve others. That's who he is. He's beloved, he's faithful, and he's been sent for a purpose. And you see in the text here that Paul says, I've sent him. So get this. Now, remember... Paul's in prison, and this letter is being carried by these guys. So, he's writing, he's almost like going to the future tense. I've sent him. Instead of I'm sending him, he says, I've sent him. So, when they read it, it's as if he's there. Almost like narrating, right? I've sent him here to you for this purpose, to bring you this information. Two things so that you'll know about our circumstances, and so He'll encourage your hearts. Now, how in the world could He encourage the church from a guy who's in prison? Well, hold that thought. Look at who's going with Him. A fellow named Onesimus. Now, I will say that next week, we're going to spend three weeks, starting next week, on a very short letter called Philemon. And Colossians and Philemon kind of go together. And we're going to learn more about Onesimus in that other study of Philemon because there's more developed about who he is. But let me tell you who he is just in brief. Onesimus got saved by listening to Paul preach while Paul was in prison. So this was like the original prison ministry right here. Paul, except he's a prisoner. He's not coming to visit the prisoners. He is the prisoner. But he's still preaching. And so Onesimus gets saved by visiting Paul in prison. And what's Paul doing? Even from behind the bars. He's telling people about Jesus. doesn't matter where he is or who he's around or what his circumstances are. He's telling people about Jesus. And so this brother gets saved in that context. And look how Paul describes him. Faithful and beloved. Now, 
this is going to become much more significant when we go through Philemon and you get a little bit of background on this guy. But the fact that Paul calls him faithful and beloved, that's a big deal. Because he says he's one of yours. And see, let me just tell you, that doesn't just mean, oh, he's also from the same town. Like he's from Colossae. He's, he's a, a, from, I guess, a, a homeboy. He's, he's from the same town. That's not what he means. He means he's one of yours, as in he's coming back. He might have left just as he's from that town, but he's coming back as part of the church because he got saved. So he's sending them together almost like Tychicus is going to vouch for him to say, hey, I, know, I don't know what you thought of him when he left, but let me tell you what happened while he was gone. He heard the gospel and he got saved, and so now he's coming back, a faithful and beloved brother. This is uh, amazing. It's an amazing thing that happens in the life of this guy. So these two guys are messengers of the kingdom, and they need prayer and support. So what does that tell us? What, what can we do for people who are taking the gospel message from the kingdom elsewhere to others who haven't heard. We need to pray. We need to support people who are carrying the gospel of the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the theme that's going to run through this whole text. Prayerfully support messengers of the kingdom, number two. Prayerfully support companions in the kingdom. Now from verse 10 down to verse 14, there's six different people listed here. And each one of them is unique. But Paul kind of sets out who they are, what they're doing. The first one is named Aristarchus. And it said, each one of these, let me just tell you, all six of these guys, each one he says, Paul says, this one sends greetings, this one sends greetings, this one sends greetings, over and over. So basically, all six of them are sending their greetings to the church. Now, they're not going to the church. The first two guys are going to the church. Tychicus and Onesimus are taking the letter and going to Colossae to, to take this to the church, right? But these six are just there. They're with Paul. But listen, listen to this. This is really interesting. The first one, Aristarchus. He's the only one of the six that is called by Paul my fellow prisoner. So, so I want you to picture this in your mind. Paul's in prison and he's not the only one. Because when he was preaching, he wasn't the only one. Which means when he got arrested, he wasn't the only one. Okay, so there's other believers, teachers, that are also in prison with him. And then these other fellows are guys who have now come and tried to tend to them and meet their needs while they're in prison. Because as you may have read in other parts of Scripture in the New Testament, Paul, because of who he was, he was very well known, but he was seen as ultimately no threat once he got in prison. He was... The, the religious leaders, the religious establishment, didn't like what he was doing, obviously. So they're the ones who were responsible for him, his imprisonment. But the guards and everyone, they realized, okay, well, he's, he's harmless. He's just, they don't like his message. So what they would do is allow him a little bit of, like a measure of freedom. So he would have visitors. He would have folks bring him different books or, or scrolls, as they would say, parchments, and Clothes and things, they could, they could come and go and visit with him and bring him some things that he needed. So, this first one, though, Aristarchus, he is from Thessalonica, 
uh, he is listed, matter of fact, you can read this in Acts 19 and in Acts chapter 20. He's one of Paul's traveling companions. He's actually in jail with him. He's my fellow prisoner. But then look at the other guys. Mark, who is Barnabas' cousin, and we don't know what these instructions are, but he says you've received instructions about him, and if he shows up, welcome him. Now this is Mark, John Mark, wrote the Gospel of Mark. Okay? This is a significant helper, right, in ministry. And then Jesus, who is called Justice, now this is like... Uh, you got to distinguish, right? Because I, you know, you have to imagine that after Jesus did all he did, it's like um, you know how parents will uh, pick maybe a popular person in culture, like that name. Every baby's born after a certain time, you know, they'll get named that same name. So there'll be a lot of people with the same name in a given time. Well, you got to imagine of all the popular names. In the first century, Jesus had to be right there at the top of the list, right? Mama named my baby Jesus, you know, so he wants to be like, you know what I'm saying? So they had to, they had to distinguish justice. Not talking about Jesus, obviously. But one of the three that send greetings, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice. But look what verse 11 tells us about these three, these first three. These are the only, only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. You know what that means? They're Jewish. Because the gospel, if you go back to Acts 10, Acts 13, you start to see the gospel message going to the Gentiles. Right? Because many of the Jews refused. And so Paul and others said, well, if you think you're unworthy of eternal life, then we're, we're taking it to the Gentiles, which is what they did. So, But these three are Jewish. But look what he says in verse 11. They have proved to be an encouragement. So they're coming out of Judaism and having to kind of change their thinking and their beliefs based on the gospel message. So that is significant because typically the New Testament church was largely Gentile because it was such a. You go through Acts, you know, when you start reading the book of Acts. All the Gentiles are rejoicing because they had been excluded and now all of a sudden they're not. So these three are of the circumcision, but they have proved to be an encouragement. Now, this fourth gentleman is very significant. Epaphras, he is also one of your number, meaning he's part of the Colossian church. He's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But look at what Paul says about him. He's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He's a true companion of the kingdom. We're talking about prayerfully supporting each other. He's doing that for the church. Epaphras is praying for the, the Colossian Christians, laboring earnestly in his prayers. And look at what he's praying. That you'll stand perfect or complete, whole, and fully assured in all the will of God. He has a deep concern for you, those in Colossae, and also in these other neighboring cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis. And this is not just hearsay. This is Paul's testimony. You see that in the text right there? Paul says he testifies about him. Verse 13, I testify for him that these things are true. So here's one interesting thing to say about 
how Epaphras is praying for the church. He says he wants them to be perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Well, what does that mean? You ever struggle with that? I just wish I knew God's will for me. Anybody ever ask that question? I just want to know God's will. Well, let me help you out a little bit after struggling for years and years and years over this same question. You're not alone. But let me point this one detail out about the will of God. God's will for His children is far more about who we are than what we do. In other words, let me clarify. God, is it Your will that I go to this college or this school or take this job or live in this town or go out with this person? Is it Your will? Okay, that's really specific. So let me back that up into some more general terms. God, what is Your will for my life, how I live? God, what's Your will for me in how I behave, in how I uh, live out the beliefs that I profess? In other words, if I say I believe the Bible and I trust in Jesus, shouldn't that make a difference in how I live? Shouldn't that statement, I profess to be a believer, a follower even, of Jesus Christ, so shouldn't that determine my lifestyle? Right? It got real quiet in here all of a sudden. Isn't that the truth? If I say I believe, I can't claim the name of Jesus and then just live however I want. Because those two things are not consistent. So if I'm going to claim the name of Jesus, then I've got to strive, surrender to live the life of Jesus. And see, so God's will is far more about, are you living the life of Jesus? Because let me tell you a secret. What if, let's just do a little what if game. What if, if I'm, if I'm sold out to Christ, I am surrendered, I am... Uh, devoted to living for Him and, and how He wants me to live. And let's say I, I have a job opportunity, maybe two, and I don't know which one to take. God, what's your will? Should I take this job or should I take this job? Well, how about ask these questions? Is there anything about either of these job opportunities that would cause me to dishonor the Lord? Is there anything about either of these two job opportunities that would cause me to or maybe have the potential to forsake my beliefs or have to compromise on what I stand for? No? Hmm. Uh, are both of these jobs, you know, good for me as far as where they are, as far as travel distance or maybe um, compensation or all these little different details? What if, what if you do all this analysis and you look at them side by side and you think, well, good gracious, I can't find anything wrong with either one of them. I think it's possible that I could glorify God with either one of these jobs. Well, guess what God says to that? Pick whichever one you want. Glorify me in whichever one. Just choose. It's up to you. See, it's not like God's will is this hidden plan... And, and if I, oh, I hope I don't, you ever seen Indiana Jones and the, 
I forget which one is it. I think it's the when they're going after the Holy Grail. And they go into this place and it's like they have to step on these tiles and if they don't step on the right ones, the floor drops out from under them and they just fall to their death. Well, guess what? That's not God's will. He's not up there watching you. Oh, I hope they make the right decision here. Oh, oh they're done for if they don't. That's not how it works. If you ask yourself these questions, can I glorify God in this? Is, is any part of this going to cause me to, to forsake my belief or to, to have to compromise my belief? Or if, if not, guess what? God says, go ahead. Just glorify me in what you're doing. We make God's will like it's, uh, like it's this exam we have to take and we hope we get the right answers. God's not trying to hide things from us. So when, when this prayer here for Epaphras, that he's praying for the, the church, see, God's will is not restricted to the question, what does God want me to do? It's more like God's whole strategy for the salvation of the world. Hey, can I share the gospel in, in this place? Can I glorify God that way? So Epaphras is praying that the young church here of Colossians will understand what it is that God's doing and then order their lives accordingly. Grounded into Christian biblical beliefs and growing into maturity. So that's the prayer. And and not just for them, that's for us. We just want to serve the Lord. We just want to glorify Him. And let me tell you, there's so many ways we can do that. And God's not sitting up there watching you, hoping you don't make the wrong decision. He's saying, just be wise. Stay in My Word. Listen to My voice. And then make your decision and glorify Me. That, that's how you follow God's will. We don't have to make it into this complex, difficult situation. So that's what the prayer is, not only for this church, that's the prayer for us. We want to stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. You know how we do that? We stay close to Jesus. We stay in the Word. And we seek to honor Christ in what we do. That's, that's, that's almost a guarantee that you're going to walk in the will of God. So this last couple of people here in this section, Luke, we all know Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the beloved physician, he sends his greetings. And then, the last name, almost as a footnote, look in verse 14, Demas. This is a a word of warning. At this writing, Demas is a brother. He's, He's helping, he's serving. But if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is the last letter Paul wrote before he died, and at the last chapter of the last letter, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, it says, Demas has left me because he loved this world more than he loved Jesus. So, just a word of warning. Just because... Just because you're in the church, just because you're enjoying the fellowship of the church or engaged in the activities of the church, that doesn't mean you belong to Jesus. Sitting in a pew 
or a Sunday school class does not bring salvation. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ. Believing in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Trusting only in Him for forgiveness and salvation. That's what brings eternal life. You can have your name on a church roll for 50 years and never know Jesus. Demas loved the world more than he loved God. So but sometime between Colossians and 2 Timothy, he left. And we don't hear about him anymore. He left. Guard your heart. Prayerfully support messengers of the kingdom, companions in the kingdom. Number three, prayerfully support Christians in the city. Paul expands his focus not just to the Colossians, but what about Laodicea, this neighboring city? What about this lady and the church that's meeting in her home? So now the, the church doesn't have any special buildings of its own. They're just meeting in houses. Do you remember Acts chapter 2? Every day in the temple and from house to house. They were enjoying fellowship with each other, breaking bread together. So the church is... It's a grassroots movement, so to speak. But Paul says we need to be praying for other Christians in the city. You know what this looks like for us? This, this might be... Uh, I mean, I don't want to just shatter anybody's idea here. It might come as a shock. But did you know that churches in the same town are not in competition with one another? Were you all aware of that? Did you know that even Baptist churches, of which we are one, uh, there are more than one, there's more than one Baptist church in this area, right? There's, um, there's 19 of them in, a, in our association in this region. Did you know we're not in competition? Did you know there's enough people in Wagner and Sally and Perry? There's enough people in Wagner that don't know Jesus that if every one of these churches in Wagner were filled to capacity on a Sunday morning, we wouldn't make a dent in the population. Did you know that? We could put 250 people in here and every single other church building in this area could be filled to the brim and there'd still be not enough room for all the people. We're not, listen here, we're not competing against one another. We're all competing against the devil. And the sooner we realize that we don't need to see other churches, other pastors, other people as enemies, we need to be on the same team jointly fighting back darkness and, and moving forward with the Gospel. That's what we ought to be doing. That's why Paul is praying for other Christians in the city. Hey, pray for the, the people in Laodicea. That's a neighboring town. Or Hierapolis. Let's pray for them. And look what he says. He says, oh, by the way, when you get this letter and you read it to the church here, send it over to them in the next city. And, and take the letter I sent to them and read it in your church. 
swap, so to speak. And so the point there is, there's lots of work to be done, and work that's focused on the wrong thing is going to be hindered by perspective. So if I think, if I think that our main objective is, hey, we need to make sure that we're doing better than this church, or we're doing, we got more people than that church, or, you know, our Facebook page got more likes than this. You know, who cares? Who cares? How about this? Um, hey, some people got saved over there at that other church today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe, maybe we, maybe that'll be an encouragement to us. Maybe we need to be sharing the gospel a little bit more so maybe we can see some people be getting saved in here. I'm just, you know, don't shoot the messenger. It's all of us against the devil. It's not us against each other. We are in a common battle for the souls of lost people. And, and that's our priority. That's where we need to be exerting our energy and our effort. The last person in verse 17, right before the end here, this is really specific. Tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. In Philemon, this same fellow is described in verse 2 of that letter as Paul's fellow soldier. He's a soldier in God's army. He's been called to a ministry. And Paul's encouragement is, hey, tell him to pay attention to that. Take heed to that ministry. You've been called in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fulfill that ministry. What's God calling you to do today? Let me back up. Has God called you to do something? Let me back up again. Are we listening for God's voice to call us to serve? Would we recognize it if, if He said it? See, I believe God calls us to do a lot of things. And sometimes the noise around us is just a little bit too much and we're not hearing it. It's not because He's not calling. I just think, I don't think we're hearing. Maybe we're not listening closely enough. Paul's desire throughout this letter has been that the Colossian church grow to maturity. And that's our desire. Grow to maturity. The last verse, number four. Prayerfully support the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Not just locally. The body of Christ. Pray. Pray for others around. Not just in the city. Pray for others. Paul gives two statements in the same sentence in this last verse as he signs off on his letter. The first one is literally says, Remember my chains. In, in, um, in my translation it says, remember my imprisonment. But the literal word there is, remember my chains. 
He's in prison. Remember, remember what got me here. Remember why I'm in prison. It's because of the Gospel. It's because that's the top priority. Take the Gospel to the world. Start where you are and keep going out. Take the Gospel to the world. Remember my chains. In the second part, grace be with you. It's almost as if grace is the subject and the object of the letter. He's written to emphasize the undeserved love of God in Christ that we receive. And then he's also written to be a means of grace to them. Not just to describe it, but to to give them grace in His encouragement. So he ends his letter with a grateful prayer. Grace be with you. So, to, to conclude all this, thank you for sticking with me. Listen to the words of N.T. Wright as we conclude. We see an attractive picture of Paul battling in prayer on behalf of Christians he's never met introducing Himself and His work to them. His breathtaking vision of what God's doing in the world gives this strange contrast with the circumstances out of which He writes. But when we look at the church and the Apostle Paul in this way, we see more. We see the loving wisdom of God, the wise plan of salvation. The new Adam, Jesus, ushering in the new age where men, women, and children of all races are called and enabled to worship the one true God. Paul's ministry is in Christ and it reflects Christ at every point. So this young church in Colossae has come to fullness of life in him. So all that Paul said to this church amounts to this royal invitation to adore and love Be grateful to God. Because God has, in Christ, reconciled to Himself the world He created through Christ. And He now invites people to enjoy that reconciliation. To grow up into the full, rich human life. Enjoying Jesus. We just want to enjoy Jesus. The last thing He says, you see it on the screen, By beholding Christ, the image of God, we're to be changed into His likeness. See, the more you see Jesus, the more you want to be like Jesus. You know how you see Jesus? You open His Word, you read it, you study it, meditate on it, and you pray. You spend time with the Lord. And the more we behold Christ, who is the image of God, the more we'll be changed into His likeness. The Colossians, as a letter, was all about this mystery that was hidden but now revealed. You remember what it is? Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory is only found in a relationship with Jesus. You want to be fulfilled? You want to be able to pray for others? You want to be able to stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God? 
Surrender to Jesus. Find your peace and your hope in a relationship with Christ. That's the only place you'll find it. And He stands waiting, calling for you. Just say yes. It really is that simple. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.